the, the next stage of you know progression for the human race is going to be a messy one and it's going to require basically remnants it's going to require strong characters around so don't waste your time trying to convince the muppets Bitcoin podcast, the podcast where we question everything, but mainly why Bitcoin. I'm your host. My name is Jeff. Joined here today with my wonderful co-host Doug. Doug, how you doing? Hello. Yes, and Jeff. I know we have guests, and we're going to get to them. But I just I want to promise you, audience, I'm going to try not to rant tonight because Twitter has pissed me off endlessly today. Even though I kept trying to put it down and walk away, every time I picked up the phone. It just, it was maddening today. Just maddening. Maybe this is because it's, just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to rant. I'm just saying I want to. But for the audience and for our guests, I'm not going to because I'm a gentleman. All we'll, right. leave the, we'll leave the rants for next week. All right. Guys, today on the show, we are joined by some absolute legends. We've, we've had some legends lately, but uh, these two fellows are excellent. This is our first time having two guests on at the same time. So hopefully it's not too much of a mess. We're joined by... Alex Svetsky. Svetsky, how you doing? What's up, gentlemen? Jeff, Doug, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And Mark Moss is here as well. Mark, how you doing? Yeah, I'm here. Happy to be here. Right on. All right, we'll get into it. Uh, just a few little things. If this is your first time listening, you can find all our previous episodes at whybitcoinpodcast.com. Uh, and although we talk about financial things and stuff of that nature, nothing you hear here will be financial advice. We're just four dudes talking. You should do your own research and buy all the Bitcoin you can before the end of the world. All right, gentlemen, um, at the <laughs> beginning of our podcast, we like to just open up with a nice heartwarming story because we know that the world is on fire. And when you talk about Bitcoin, you realize how shit the fiat world is. So I like to just say something happy. <laughs> and today... The happiest thing that's happening right now is just the death of shit coins. I mean, can we all just say an amen for how beautiful it is to watch everyone Absolutely. bleeding in the street? Amen, bro. How do you guys feel about this? Beautiful thing. <laughs> it just, does it make you happy? How do you feel? Like, I know there's a lot of emotion with the shit coiners and everybody else, but like, I feel nothing but pure joy watching this. I mean, for me, it's, um... uh, Mark, you go first, buddy. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Alex. Okay. I was just gonna say for me, it's, I mean, th there's, there's very little I can do at this point from a, from a cash flow stand standpoint to, you know, add more Bitcoin to my stack. Um, but from a, from a just watching dumbasses basically who came to get rich quick, um, learn a lesson. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I've, uh, I've always been someone who takes that position. Uh, I mean, I, I wasn't sure for, for a while there, I was starting to get like disillusioned. I was like, man, we're going to have to go to the moon and carry a bunch of arrogant morons with us um, that think, you know, apes are artwork or something like that. There was just, it was just so much froth and so much <laughs> stupidity and just way too much easy, easy money being made by dumb people. And, um, mm -hmm. agreed. And yeah, it's, it's, it's in a way it's, it's vindicated. It's, it's a shame that, you know, we've got to like 
you know, ride the whole thing. But I guess that's that's the price, man. Um, you know, Bitcoin was never a get rich quick scheme. You know, I, I've kind of said in the past it's a it's a don't get poor slowly um, mm-hmm. thing. And you know that this is this is the this is the earning phase uh, with respect to Bitcoin. So it's um it's it's a good time. It is a good time. Mark, how do you feel about the blood in the streets? I would say that uh, I don't particularly like it. So um, for a number of reasons, I mean, obviously we've seen the, uh, you know, the, uh, the death maybe, and I don't know if it's, I don't know if death is the right word, but I mean, obviously the altcoins are getting hit hard and and some of these scamming platforms as well. Um, But Bitcoin's getting hit really hard too. So I've been around since 2015. I've sat through several drawdowns. I don't know if it gets easier. Um, so I'm not I'm not super happy in seeing that happen, um, and I'm even less happy to see people bleed in the street. So um, I'm definitely happy to have a purge and like get rid of all this stuff. And um, you know, uh, I think all of us I'm sure have tried our best to warn as many people as we can. Um, it's not something I am happy to say I told you so about. You know, I. Um, mm-hmm. I met with some people. Uh, I was in Austin over the weekend and uh, one guy I met, he's like, oh man, I've been following your stuff for a long time. You know, big fan, talking, talking, talking. He's 50 years old, had a marketing company for a long time, just had a big exit, retired all his money. And uh, I mean, he lost it all. How did he, how did he lose it all? Where did he put it? uh, He thought it was safe in a, in a stable coin, you know? And, um, you know, he, he wasn't a bad guy. He's not an evil guy. He, uh, you know, I know Alex position, (laughs) Svetsky and I are good friends. I know his position. I mean, uh, uh, survival of the fittest or whatever, right? Darwin, Darwin's order. But, um, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pushing Bitcoin hard because I believe it's a a Noah's Ark. I think it's the, I think it's the raft. I think if we can get enough people onboarded on the Bitcoin, it cushions the blow for the inevitable crash of the system. But, um, there's going to be a lot of uh, damage left in the wake. And so, I don't know. I'm not happy seeing people bleed in the street, but. Yeah, I, I understand that. I mean, it's not it's not nice, but it's just, yeah, like Alex said, I really thought maybe this is the time where just everything goes up forever. And uh, this is my my first cycle, and I haven't seen anything like this before. So I'm just like, oh, I thought, I thought it wasn't going to happen this time. And it did once again. So yeah, actually that's kind of why I'm excited about it. Like, uh, I kind of felt like a pretender, like you and I didn't have to sit through, you know, like Mm -hmm. a massive drawdown or whatever. And now it's like, oh no, no, I'm going to, I'm going to earn my stripes too, you know? So kind of like a rite of passage, something like that. So I feel good about it in that regard. Anyway, it really is a rite of passage. No, no, it really is. This is something that I've, um, you know, cause the, the the one the one kink in my armor at the moment is that you know I, I got my girlfriend who you know she she came from a quite a uh, poor background from like a really shitty you know Latin American country and you know she kind of worked all her life to save up some money and she bought um you know she bought an apartment with her mum you know kind of you know worked her way to to doing that um and bought an apartment a number of years ago and you know, i finally got it i convinced her to sell it um at the end of last year and she finally got it sold um and she she you know i obviously through my uh ferocious sort of you know uh position on bitcoin i convinced her to go all in um nice. and uh she bought bitcoin and she bought the dip but the dip she bought was at 39k 
Um, mm-hmm. So she's really kind of freshish to Bitcoin. So she's kind of going through this now. She's like, oh my God, I can't fucking believe I did this. Why did I listen to you? So anyway, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> annoying. It's a, it's a kink in my armor at the moment. And she's by no means like, you know, she's one of those people who doesn't understand finances. And I think to a large degree, you know, it's, it's the, it's the man's job to understand the finances, not the woman's. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, you know, she's going to have to go through this thing. Oh, actually, I shouldn't say unfortunately, she's going to have to go through this and she's going to have, she's going to get to earn her stripes. But this, this is the way of building wealth is that like literally everyone who came to get rich quick is going to get bled out here because they're going to find out that this isn't get rich quick. You know, they're going to go elsewhere and it's only when they leave to go elsewhere to find other, you know, get rich quick opportunities somewhere else and that the market will become healthy again and and continue on upwards. And, you know, all, all, all true wealth must be earned. And that's, I guess, the, the path of um, someone who buys Bitcoin, the path they must walk is that they're going to have to earn, as you said, earn your stripes and, you know, using my girlfriend as, as an example, once again, is like that this is her first real uh, bear market and she's going to have to earn those stripes. She's going to have to take a 50% haircut um, and kind of <laughs> stomach that and, and go through it. Does she, does she believe in the concept of Bitcoin? I mean, assuming that, you know, I'm assuming you're mentoring her on it. So she understands, or at least she's been exposed to it. Does she get that part of it? Like the, the, yeah, I mean, you know what I'm asking? Like not the, not the get rich part, but what is it, you know, like what is Bitcoin and, and, and does she get all of that? You know, she, she gets it, but it's not a, it's not the same understanding that, um, you know, people like UI or Mark or anything like that would have, right. Is, um, and, and you can't expect everyone to have that same level of understanding. Um, you know, like her, her goal in life, which is why she's my woman is that, um, you know, she wants to have babies and take care of them and, you know, be an amazing wife. Like her goal in life isn't to stack sats and, um, you know, be extraordinarily wealthy and, and, you know, found a fucking dynasty, right. That'll live on for thousands of years, which is my reasoning for stacking sets. It's very different. So <laughs> I, I, a I place dream. A, You're a simple man. Yeah, it's I a like simple it. dream. Right. So, so I, I have, you know, a far greater, there's a far greater gravity or meaning behind uh, me buying Bitcoin. Um, and me being the fucking breadwinner in this relationship, obviously that's like, I, I place a huge emphasis on it. For her, like, you know, the the ideal scenario is that, you know, I buy all the Bitcoin, I manage all the keys, she has none, and then I just give her an allowance. That's the, that's the actual way, uh, you know, a husband wife relationship should be. Um, But anyway, like, so, so she gets it enough to have, you know, trusted me to, to sort of go all in, but now she's going to have to, you know, go through the earning phase. But now you're still going to sleep on the couch, right? Like that's. (laughs) <laughs> it's a joke dude i'm just joking i know, I know. <laughs> the other the other good thing about uh just being in this bearish market and seeing seeing the down draws like everybody's screaming at the top of their lungs when bitcoin's at 50 60k to tell all their friends to buy but now i'm really screaming out all my friends like oh my god now you really yeah. need to buy yeah and yeah it, <laughs> like it just it feels better because now it's just like, yeah, no, I'm not rich off this, but you should look into it and you should definitely check it out. And it's the best time to buy because you're buying when I started buying. 
same price. Yeah, well, this is where you separate, like, you know, what's authentic, uh, you know, uh, you you separate that from what's opportunistic. And I I think that comes Mm. with a a much greater degree of honesty than, um, you know, than this sort of sense of sense of chase. I was was speaking to a guy who, um, who runs a fund earlier today, you know, and he was down in the dumps. He's like, fucking hell, no deals are closing, you know, valuations are fucking getting cut in half. It's like, it's fucking Armageddon. And I'm like, well, you know what? We, We were, we were in such a fucking blind chase over the last six to nine months that, um, I mean, you know, in hindsight, this was inevitable, like absolutely fucking inevitable. Oh, sure. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, yeah, we are. of course. We are, I think, I think, I think on top of all that, um, you know, my, my career is the last uh, six years anyway, has been spent uh, um, studying the news, the macro picture of what's going on, both from a financial and monetary standpoint, but also political standpoint. And, um, you know, I think unfortunately the majority of people don't really have the macro picture. And so if you, you know, it depends on how far you can zoom out, but also how, how much you understand what's going on out there. And so, um, you know, uh, yippee, right. Uh, you know, you're, you're getting your, you're earning your stripes, you're getting your battle scars, you know, people are getting shaken out, but, um, uh, the reason for all that happening, <laughs> what's behind the scenes is bad. It's mm-hmm. really bad. Um, mm. I think in my, uh, my, uh, my, my, my thesis has been evolving, but I think, I think we've seen the high point of society. I agree. I think 2019 probably marked the top, maybe 2014 marked the top. And, uh, we may Let's never be see honest. The 1990s prosperity. were the pinnacle of the human experience. Can we just no, all agree no, on that? They, I, I mean, it, come on. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. The matrix got it right. 2000. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends on what type yes. of, uh, depends on, you know, what type of metrics you're looking at. But well, well, I'm 45, so that's my metric. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't even have a smartphone back then. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you for yes. proving my point. Thank you for proving my point. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. I'm going to start no, with the voice here. I like, hear what you're saying, but I, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I, th- I think um, the U.S. seems to have lost its innocence after kind of 9-11. Um, and then, you know, with everything from like, you know, the, the TSA becoming a bunch of tyrannical fucking weirdos and everything like that. It feels like, I don't know, pre-2000s, there was still like a level of innocence. And even though the 90s were kind of fucking weird, right, it was kind of like this lost decade. Um, didn't really have an identity. Um, I don't know. That, that for me, the 2000s seems to have been the peak. It was right before smartphones and all that craziness. Um, you know, there was still an innocence about the internet. You know, there was this early thing. It was kind of the the dawn of the digital age in some sense. And it wasn't, you know, Instagram and Facebook, you know, hadn't existed yet where, you know, people, I, I saw this really funny meme the other day of like, if the Titanic was drowning, uh, if the Titanic happened today, you know, there's a bunch of people drowning and they got their hands up taking photos, <laughs> selfies of the fucking Titanic while they're drowning. <laughs> um, it's true. So, you know, man. that's... Um, no, it is true. Yeah, so 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 I, I don't know. But, you know, like, like Mark said, though, it depends on the metric because, you know, the, these things are fucking also multifaceted, so who knows? I guess the only reason I would really say that is because there seem to be, like... Uh, uh, a a not worldwide but culturally wide 
uh, at least in the Western hemisphere, uh, you know, I don't want to whatever, but uh, there seemed to be an optimistic hope for the future. You know, like it was still, it was still something that most people looked at with a, with a positive view. And now I think most people are just, at least in my experience, I would have to say most people, especially when they're not Bitcoiners, they end up having a very negative view of the future. Nihilistic, I think is the word. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a good Nihilistic. It's hopeless and hopeless. Yeah, it really is. It's like, do you know what? You see it most in movies. Movies to me, you know, represent the culture very well. And the the peak of cinema was between 1995 and 2005. Basically the, you've got on one end Braveheart and on the other end, um, V for Vendetta and, and that kind of 10 year gap. Like there's obviously a bit of bleed on both sides, but man, the, the other week, I watched Forrest Gump and it was fucking incredible. I love that movie. And then the next day yeah. I watched Eternals, like the, the late, the, the, the Disney yeah. fucking Marvel dog shit. <laughs> oh, and no, why'd you do like, that? I wanted to shoot myself in the face, man. I was like, what am I fucking watching? <laughs> like, and it's, it's a good time a, for a nap, like, man. Those Marvel movies. Dude, that was the, I could not believe what I was watching. And like the c- cinema tells a lot about the culture and the culture tells a lot about the time and you know that that's truly yeah i think nihilism is a is a great word not nihilism and like apathy um yeah you know i think those two words kind of describe modernity and anyway, i kind of want to springboard off of what you what you're saying there because i when i was younger um i kind of discovered not like horror not horror movies i've never been a fan of horror movies per se but the study of what cultures fear Right. So like if you go way back, um, like 1300s, right, it, they're like Dracula and, and all, like where the werewolf and then you have uh, Mary Shelley with Frankenstein and like the study of cultures and what they fear. And then the 90s, you had like the fear of zombies, right, this, the fear of being one of the collective. Right. And I'm listening to what you're saying right now and I'm realizing we don't have a cultural boogeyman right now like that's how apathetic we are like i can't think of one off the top of my head like i can't think of something that's captured the zeitgeist where it's like this is what we're culturally afraid of anymore that's well, that we seems weird to me anymore culture has been shattered i think you know there you go i think from a lot of a lot of standpoints right like you, know, you said you're 45 right so when we were younger we listened to the same music we watched the same movies um and so you know you you saw that right but um everything everything's so fractured not only just our interests and our attentions are fractured but um all the all of our core values are completely gone um true and that's why you know you see the nation so divided right more divided than it's ever been but at the same time that's also why you don't see um maybe the collective social you know big big fear but there's plenty of them out there there's plenty of boogeyman's out there um, that people see but it's just it's just fractured i think yeah not everybody's well, I mean, on the same the, page all the time <laughs> Well, I mean, not, not everyone can be on the same page. I feel like the, um, oh, man, like the thing is reality TV in the news has become, has replaced, you know, entertainment and everything's become more and more hysterical. Like, you know, we don't have, um, I don't know, like the, 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 the bar is so low for like, collective fear it's like people you know freaked out over the fucking flu um for right. a couple of years so so you had that but then at the same time you've got this kind of um 
mass hysteria has kind of transformed into mass apathy. And and it's funny because I, I have a feeling this is almost well, this could be a good thing or a bad thing. So so like I, I don't believe in, you know, men behind the curtain and, you know, fucking lizard people controlling everything. I I I, I believe that everyone has some form of conspiracy and everyone is conspiring towards something. And, you know, if you're in a position whereby you can enrich yourself without having to do anything by pushing a couple buttons, then I think the tendency is that you will do it. You know, it doesn't mean that you're a fucking lizard person, but you, you know, you, you will have the tendency to, uh, take advantage of the system. Like if I, if I was at a fucking casino and I could press a button and it would spit out money for me, but even if I knew that it would somehow collectively cost everyone a little bit, I'd totally fucking do that. So I, I'm not immune to, you know, being a central banker and I don't think anyone else is. So, so you know, or, or a government bureaucrat or whatever, right? So you, you blend that proclivity or that tendency to, you know, take advantage when it doesn't cost you directly um, with the do-gooder mentality, which is what a lot of politicians are, is they're people that can't, fucking help but push the buttons on the you know on the plane like the plane is flying it's doing its thing but you know they they need to push a fucking button just to prove that they're doing something um and in doing so they you know they they, they start sending the plane downwards so, so you mix those two tendencies together and you end up <clears throat> in a situation where you've got these you know multiple conspiracies uh so to speak uh going on but um, what what's funny is that you know that the intent obviously from twenty twenty was to to uh, incite hysteria among people, right? Um, everything was overblown. Every like fucking one person gets choked out, and the whole fucking world is on you know fire. And then one other thing happens, and you know the flu is the fucking zombie apocalypse. Apparently. Um, walking outside of your house is like the world's going to come to an end. Honking your fucking, you know, honking your horn on a truck is apparently as bad as Hail Hitler. Like all this like excess fucking hysteria. And what's interesting is that we've come to the point, and I, I don't know if I'm just sensing this or if this is maybe more a collective truth, is that it doesn't kind of matter what happens now. People are just so apathetic. It's like, you know, monkeypox is like, eh, okay, whatever. Like war in Russia and Ukraine, eh, okay, whatever. Uh, and it's like everything they kind of try and throw at the wall now just doesn't stick because I think everyone's kind of like burnt out. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. And in some senses, it's a good thing because it's like no amount of pandemic bullshit is ever going to rouse anyone again. They go like, yeah, fuck, whatever. I'm on my 18th booster. It doesn't matter anymore. Um, or the, the scary thing is, well, well, that's the thing. So, so, so th th there might be some silver lining there or the scary potential of this is that everyone might be so apathetic that something really disastrous might happen and it'll be kind of like the boy who cried wolf. It's like, Mm -hmm. everyone like kind of sees it as I or whatever, you know, but something drastic might actually occur. So, you know, the wheels might fall off some sort of complex system that, um, you know, is required for civilization to, to, to stand up. And, and, and I think, you know, I wonder if, um, you know, Mark, you kind of think that it's the latter because, because, because I'm not sure, like, I, I just feel this weight of apathy and nihilism globally at the moment. And, you know, Bitcoin is gen genuinely the, the only spark that I see within 
that. But um, maybe yeah, it's like a I, conversation over the weekend where where we were talking about coffee, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. like it it overtaxes your adrenals, um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so maybe all this uh, you know fear porn or whatever um, overtaxes people's adrenals. Maybe they get worn out from it. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a way that. You know, because we we become desensitized to this information, yeah. you know, and so um, maybe maybe when everything's an emergency, nothing's an emergency, right? So exactly, uh, could, it could come to the point where I mean, everything is, yeah. People are just so okay going with the flow that they can just easily slide in CBDCs, just like, oh, sorry, the money's broken here, just take this, and everybody's just like, yeah, whatever, I'll just change my money over to this, and that's like the most, like biggest travesty that could happen is people switching over to CBDCs mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they just slide it in and nobody cares. And now we're on a world run by government, full government control. That would be the worst thing that could happen. I think. I think, I think Svetsky has a good point though, in the sense that I, it is a physiological thing with a human being. You cannot be in a state of fight or flight constantly. Like you will actually mm-hmm. die. It's actually a thing. Mm-hmm. So this idea that our, the guys controlling the buttons in the airplane, if they keep dipping the nose down and panicking everyone and then pulling up and, you know, like you can't maintain that forever, you know, like at a certain point, you guys are right. We're just going to stop caring. And I, I do share the same fear uh, as Svetsky as brought up in the sense of like, at a certain point, something bad really is going, like a really bad thing is going to happen. Not a flu, not a, not, you know, a 25% dip in the stock market, like something actually really bad will be happening. And we just, we'll just all be, you know, too busy taking selfies to care. You know, like that's, that's kind of my, yeah. fear, honestly. That's, that's totally the scary fucking part for me as well, man, is that that is something that I don't know how to put a, um, how to measure a weight because like, if something genuinely drastic was to happen right now, I feel like the weight of apathy is uh, too great that, as you said, you know, you've been, I mean, we, we've all like the same sentiment here. It's like when everything's an emergency, nothing's an emergency. Like, I, I feel like almost some zombies could walk out the fucking front door and, you know, people would be like, oh, it's fucking Monday, you know, like back to smoking <laughs> some weed. And This wasn't um, on my bingo card, but Eternals. fuck it, whatever. You know? Gonna go yeah. back to watching the Eternals. <laughs> that, that's it exactly they'll, they'll go back to like fucking scrolling through netflix or disney channel and pretending like yeah. um yeah anyway whatever i'm not gonna say that but mm-hmm. it's just i don't know man it's a it's, it's a strange time a so so world. yeah uh, I, I i wonder if we i guess it's just a matter of like you know in, in a in a historical sense i guess um I guess 20 years doesn't make much of a difference in a, in a grander historical sense, you know, as to whether that was the peak or, you know, whether 2000 was the peak or 2019 was the peak. I mean, I, I, I still True. think sort of 2000 is kind of like a local peak um, more than anything else. But I mean, that that's all just semantics and opinions and shit like that. But I, I, I wonder, I wonder what the people of, you know, World War Two would have thought or World War One kind of like, you know, being in the midst of that, whether, you know, they thought that that was, whether they had the same sort of, the world. you know, apathy or nihilism or end of the worldism. Yeah. I'm curious. You didn't have like. as much I don't, information coming I don't, at yeah. you all No, the time, I don't think, right? I mean, I'll, I'll just use a personal anecdote, but I've talked about my grandfather on this before and he fought in France and stuff. And 
I don't, I don't think they did. I think they still had again that that idea of like, this sucks and it's awful, but we're doing it for the future, which is a different mm. mentality. I think you know, like they also didn't have like the the you know they didn't have the they didn't have the smartphone, <laughs> so they didn't uh-huh. have twenty four seven you know news in your face. And so, for example, um, you know, I've, I've been talking about how uh, two years now I've been talking about energy crisis coming. And uh, now, you know, potentially we have uh, fuel shortages here in the United States. And a lot of people think, oh, that can't happen, right? Well, oh. it did in 1974, right? We had fuel lines and they'd run out of fuel and stuff. So I went, I went and asked my parents, I said, hey, you know, I'd, uh, what, what was it like living through that? Um, do you remember what that was like? Like, um, was everybody talking about it? Did, uh, you know, did, did the economy completely crash? Was it like hard to buy things? And uh, they were like, mm, no, like, I don't know. I remember, yeah, you could only get gas like two days a week, but like, I don't know. It didn't seem like that big of a deal. So like, um, that's, if, imagine if that happened today, if you could only get gas one day a week or two days a week and then food wasn't being delivered, like that'd be a really big deal, but they seem to remember, maybe they're just old and it's a long time, but they seem to remember like not being that big of a deal for them. People are adaptable too, right? I mean, yeah, they told us to all not leave our houses for two weeks. And you said, if you said that a couple months prior, you'd be like, what, this is crazy. And People just adapted and they said, okay, that's why, yeah, like uh, when I first found Bitcoin, I was like, oh my God, the end of the world is coming. This is going to be crazy. And, uh, you know, it just, shit just keeps happening, but people, people adapt to the situation or they just, yeah, they just, yeah, you just figure out how to keep living. So maybe it won't be the worst thing thing ever. I mean, this is where Mark and I were having actually a conversation uh, over the weekend um, and I, I was kind of, you know, Mark was more pessimistic than his usual self. And I was slightly more optimistic than my usual self. And I think we've kind of like nice. weirdly, you know, <laughs> we're kind of playing each other's roles in a sense. Cause I, I kind of said that I've started to kind of come off the whole, um, doomsday side of things, because I feel like society is this complex adaptive system, which it is that seems to no matter the catastrophe find its way uh find a way to adapt um but at the same time you know the conversation kind of evolved into talking about like okay what does that adaptation look like and 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 that's where things get a little bit hairier is that you know do, do we adapt in a really weird way where we you know society as a whole starts to evolve um in in I know, and and look kind of strange. And and to a degree, that's what's probably happened, particularly over the last, I mean, definitely over the last 20 years, for sure over the last five years, and, you know, to a large degree over the last 50 years and 100 years is that, you know, the, the as much craziness as the bureaucrats and statists have produced, like whether, whether it is World War One, two wars, and, you know, fake wars and all all the crap that has happened like society seems to find a way to adapt but it's i don't know it feels like it's come to a point where it's starting to maladapt in weird ways so it's like you know innovation is like instead of figuring out how to you know produce more efficient energy like we're adapting around carbon taxes so we're producing less efficient energy and digging up the fucking planet and you know, doing shit like that, or alternatively, we confuse innovation with building another fucking dick pick app 
um, that someone can send a stupid message on, like there's, there's no actual real problems being solved, you know? So, so it's kind of weird. It's so, so I don't, I don't even know what to think anymore. It's like, I, I don't know whether, you know, I don't know how sick society actually is um, and, and what it's, what our adaptive process looks like. I mean, it, it seems like we find a way around it, you know, like, I mean, we, we shut the whole fucking world down for two years um, and we managed to survive. Um, but, but maybe, maybe the after effects are just starting to happen now. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say, I think, I think the bill is, is starting to come due on that. I think that's what we're seeing right now. I think that was a massive miscalculation on the part of the smart people, quote unquote. And mm -hmm. I think we're going to see that. I think that bill is coming due right now. That's what we're seeing right now. Well, the, the problem was solved by just printing a fuck ton of fiat money. And so everybody thinks everything's okay. And if you talk to any non-Bitcoiner friends, like I'll talk to my friends and I'll just be like, yeah, you know, gas is really expensive. And they just kind of shrug like, yeah, it's expensive. Cheese is uh, double the price it was, you know, a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, it is. So how long does that go on for until these people that aren't paying attention to the money printing start noticing it? Like, is it when prices double? No. So is it when they quadruple? Is it when they 10x? Is it when they 100x? Like, at what point do people say, oh, yeah, this is broken now? That, that's what I'm trying to figure out. And it might be a lot, lot longer than we think. Because I don't think it's that hurting. much longer, though, Jeff. Like, all you have to do is look at places like, um, was it Sri Lanka, where they were, like, stoning politicians? Or you look at Turkey or, like, you just have to look. There's examples everywhere of societies that just can't take, they, they can't bend anymore, so they break. You know, mm -hmm. and that that's, usually, that's historically when they can't feed their families. That's yep, the point. That's yeah, they there pretty you much go. Take anything, but when they can't feed their families. Um, and so that's what we got coming. Right. So um, this year, by the end of this year, by December, we're going to see people literally starving to death. We have problems that even with a magic wand right this minute can't be fixed for at least a year and a half. Do you mean in Western societies, Mark? Uh, I mean, no, I'm talking about globally, but I mean, OK. So, yeah, I don't think in the United States, I mean, we're going to we're going to have food, you know, in North America. Right. We're going to have food. But, um, you know, we have uh, a massive, massive fertilizer shortage, which, you know, absolutely we shouldn't need fertilizer anyway. But, uh, you know, we have China, Europe makes nitrogen fertilizer and they haven't been able to make that because of the natural gas shortage. And we have uh, uh, potash coming from Russia, which isn't hitting the world and then we have phosphate fertilizer coming from china and so basically all the fertilizer has been taken we missed the plant this year there's no food this year so we're going to see a massive shortage this year and then you know even even if we could fix that overnight we can't plant again until next spring so we're a year and a half out and so um we're going to see that 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 bill coming due this this year before the year's over and um you know arab spring easily within the next 12 months definitely within the next 12 months it's yeah. going to happen i agree with you so yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> luckily, luckily, Bitcoin is here to say this is a very optimistic anyways. fucking discussion. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's try and, <laughs> I feel so inspired. Yeah, well, we we're, are yeah we're really, really down downhill here. Let's uh, shift gears from doomsday. Yeah, we have the two of you on for a reason. You both uh, teamed up to write a book called The Uncommunist Manifesto. Awesome book. And uh, <laughs> yeah, let's move away from the end of the world. And I have a, a couple questions for you guys about it. Um, firstly, what was your motivation for uh, writing this book? What uh, what made you think that you guys should put this together? 
I think b b besides the fact that we're constantly trying to pound the table on free markets and capitalism and free choice and, you know, things like that, um, uh, shouting in the wind against uh, the, the ever growing voice of Marxism and communism. And we, we, it's, it, it, it seemed to have gone away decades ago and then seemed to come back. And, you know, we, we, we saw it really kind of come front and center over the last couple of years, especially with even with BLM and the leaders are like, oh, yeah, we're trained Marxists. And, um, you know, I've been talking about this for a decade, for over a decade. And um, I've studied a lot about Marx. I've studied a lot about communism. Um, and I had embarrassingly admit that I had never actually read the Communist Manifesto. Like, I, I've read a lot of books on Marx and a lot of books on communism, a lot of books on Russian history, uh, German history, all this, but never actually read that. And um, when I read it, I was pretty shocked because, uh, I mean, I thought I knew how bad it was, but I didn't. And I'm like, man, do people know really how bad this is? Like, what the heck? And, and I felt like if people if people would read that and see how bad it was, maybe they wouldn't like it as much. Like, um, the you know, the, the girls that run Black Lives Matter are saying that they're trained Marxists. And it's like, so did you read what he said about women in there? Because, like, you like that, right? And so uh, Alex and I, we were in El Salvador working with Bitcoin Beach down there. And I had the copy of the book and um, we started talking about it and then we started kind of tossing around the idea and then we kind of had the idea. And then one day Alex is like, let's do it, pull the trigger. Like, let's put a date on the board and make it happen. And, and so we did. Is that how you That's, remember it, Alex? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yep. What, whatever Mark says is the truth. Um, <laughs> but no, it was, <laughs> it was. What happened to don't trust verify? Come on, man, let's go. Hey man, Bitcoin's dead. All right, there's no more of that. Um, <laughs> Bitcoin is dead. Long live Bitcoin. That's a twice. That's twice that we've said that on the show. Yeah. The um, no, I mean that cool. that's that's basically the story. Yeah, we we, I mean, from from where I sit, like the the importance of this book. I, I think we we stumbled onto something as well while we're writing this book is this idea that um, there there is a place there there is a place for um for short, concise books with like a powerful idea. Yeah. And clearly, I mean, the communist manifesto struck a chord obviously with the world um, because it's apparently the most widely read political and economics sort of political science economics book uh, ever written, which I mean, goes to show how fucking ridiculous society is when that's your peak book. Um, so, I mean, you know, th th there's that book, there's The Law by Frederick Bastiat, which is an incredible book. Like, and they were funny, they were written at the same time. They were both written in 1850. And if, if the latter was actually the most widely read book, I think we'd live in a very different world right now. But, you know, unfortunately, the Marxist book, which is basically an academic justification for, you know, being lazy and entitled, um, which, which you can see why it probably won out, right? Is that, you know, you had a bunch of wealth get created. Well, it, I don't, I, yeah, I think it's human nature, but it's also human nature in the face of um, uh, a, a lack of uh, consequence and uh, feedback. Because, like, I think, you can I, be I lazy. So generally... like, what's it? Go ahead. Sorry, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. No, I was, I was just going to say that. Say... I... <laughs> <laughs> we have a slight delay, folks, so we keep talking over each other. Uh... We don't mean to. Svetsky. Please, you're the guest on my show. You go first. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus. Um, so, so I was just going to say, like, 
it's the it's the trust fund baby syndrome is that if you have enough wealth um, or you're born into enough wealth or if you're entitled enough uh, and you have the ability to do, do what I said earlier, right? You're at the casino and you're pushing the button and you're getting money, even though it's hurting everyone a little bit, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect you. Um, you you'll have a tendency to to behave like the, the trust fund baby who has the money and basically squander everything because you didn't have to earn it. And you don't have enough uh, direct economic feedback on your actions. So, so you'll behave like that. So, so I don't know if it's entirely human nature. I think it's a, it's a blend of the, the human nature component is the desire to do, um, to do the maximum amount with the minimal energy or effort expenditure. Um, so, so that piece combined with uh, a large degree of wealth, like a cushion, and combined with a lack of feedback means that communism as an ideology won out um, over, you know, libertarianism, etc. because, um, you know, that feedback wasn't there. Um, well, at least it's won out to, to, to date. And now that we've like eroded our capital base, um, you know, now, now we're going to have to think twice about this shit. So anyway, that, that was kind of my point. Curious to hear what you were going to say, Doug. So my my argument is that if you if you study the, the development of a human, right? When 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 we're children, we are self centered by nature, right? That's just what we are. Uh, if you look at a, a baby or a five year old or a ten year old, they generally think of themselves first. And I I I have I have been. I'm much more rudimentary in my thinking. I just sort of observe what I see happening in my own children or myself as a parent, and I try to apply across the board. And the notion that somehow someone else's labor is owed to me, which is, in my view, the quintessential nature of of communism, um, that is a very childish thing and i think it's inherently a human thing like at the at the very outset like we unlearn that basic uh tenant of existence as we get older or we should that's the theory so that would only be my that's my really my only argument is that i think our default nature as humans is very selfish and very self-centered and and communism and and marxism they 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 tap into that and and they allow the person to say, I don't ever have to produce for myself. I don't ever have to because it's a collective and everyone else should work too, you know, like that sort of mm -hmm. thing. And also I would just the add fairies will bring it. it. Yeah. Yeah, the tooth fairies will bring it right. And and I should mention, and please correct me, because you guys have clearly studied this more than I have, but I'm pretty sure I've read that Marx never actually had a job in his life. Like he actually borrowed, like there are letters borrowing from his, there was like a co-author to the Marx uh, book, right? Engels, that, yeah. that he kept Richard borrowing Engels. from. Yeah. yeah. He basically I'm funded sure it. Yeah, was... exactly. He was, yeah, yeah, he was all basically donation driven, you know, a lot, a lot of his work and it was always pissed off. He never had to work, right? Earn any money. Yeah. Well, he, it's he, not that he, he didn't never... have to, he just, he just didn't. And, 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 and yeah. it great cost okay. to him. So understanding yeah. who he was is is actually really i think in my opinion is really key into understanding what marxism is right so um he had he had grown up in a in a, in a well-to-do family i believe his parents were attorneys and um, yep. he was expected to kind of continue on and be a well-to-do person and, and be an attorney but he didn't want to do that he didn't want to work hard he didn't want to study hard and he wanted to just write philosophy which today you can get a get a job doing that but uh or you can have a career doing that but, but back then we call those college professors 
Yeah, but I mean, even just people, you know, uh, make money just, you know, with, with, with blogs and medium posts and whatever, right? Um, and, and you just couldn't do that back then. So um, he, I think he was very angry and, and you could tell he was angry by his actions. So like he would get in fights all the time with people. He would join like different clubs, like different communist clubs. They'd kick him out. Um, and he was, so he was very angry and um, he was, he was really angry at the world because he couldn't provide for his family um, because he didn't want to work. He just wanted to write philosophy. And so I think, I think that, that, that was one thing. And then he would, he would just disappear for long periods of time. He couldn't take care of his family, uh, horrible, horrible family life. Uh, one, one or more of his kids died of like malnutrition. And um, so he was just really angry at the world that he couldn't provide doing what he wanted to do. Uh, and instead of having to actually work and uh, that, I think understanding that then like unlocks everything else. So like uh, one of the big, Probably, probably one of the best statements of uh, of Marx of, of Marx in his book. I think that really sums it up for him, and I think also shows what the big appeal is uh, for everybody else. Is uh, is that uh, to each according to their abilities, to each according to their needs. So his ability was um, writing philosophy. Are you guys there? Yeah, no, yeah, we're here. listening. We're just listening. Yeah, listening. I didn't see. I didn't see my little thing moving on the screen. Uh, but um, so you know, he his ability was not practicing law like it was supposed to have been. It was writing philosophy, but he couldn't pay. So th that was his ability, and couldn't he just get what he needed <laughs> for doing that? And I think that also draws other people in because they're like, oh yeah, well, how about I just do whatever I want, and then I just have everything that I need at the same time. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it, it. It makes it so obvious when you realize what you're doing. If you're not producing value, then you can't get anything for it. And that's all he did was writing philosophy, and nobody nobody cared to read it, so he couldn't provide for himself. So he decided everybody else should provide for me, and what I'm doing is important, even though everything around him was telling him what he was doing. Just no, nobody cared about what he was. Doing. I have to wonder though, like how many how many quote-unquote marxists actually understand that concept honestly like actually understood what mark just said which is who was the person that gave them this information you know like when you look at at philosophers or uh, i mean i'll just pick one kind of randomly right like teddy roosevelt not my favorite historical person but the dude did stuff and what he said one of the the best things like for me that i really appreciate he talks about like the man in the arena Right. I think hopefully everyone who's listened to this, if you don't, if you're listening to this, and you don't know what I'm talking about. Look up Teddy Roosevelt, Google Teddy Roosevelt, man in the arena. It's this brilliant quote about basically, you know, it's it, it doesn't matter who's on the outside casting aspersions and throwing dirt and throwing, you know, nasty words. Look at the man in the arena fighting the good fight. Like that's the guy you want to emulate, essentially. And so if you if you that's kind of always been my touchstone i guess or whatever you want to say but for for marxists if your guy is the guy who like he just he just wants free shit like how, how is the, how is that your guy you know what i mean that's that's it's always been baffling to me i don't know well to your point yeah, it's, it it's was... who you want to emulate so they want to emulate the person that gets free stuff <laughs> and that can justify it yeah, yeah that, that's I suppose. what the, the... That's where the academic justification of entitlement sort of comes in is that, um, I mean, a, a lot of people that, um, it's very rare that you'll find an entrepreneur who's a Marxist, right? 
Absolutely. Because an entrepreneur had to, you know, had to build something, put something at risk and actually, you know, create something. Now, more often than not, you know, entrepreneurs fail, but then you have this kind of, um, you know, this kind of distrib- uh, this power law distribution when it comes to entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, who strikes out uh, versus who strikes it lucky in a sense because they built the right thing at the right time for the right people, et cetera. So, you know, the, the stars really aligned and, and, you know, I, I guess to, to sympathize with Marx to a degree, um, you know, perhaps he was born in the wrong era, perhaps, you know, if he wanted to write and make a living out of um, blogs, he might've earned some sort of basic subsistence uh, writing for the New York Times. He definitely would have had a job at Vox. I'm just going to say it. Yeah, something like that. You know what I mean? Like that. that's what I mean. Now, <laughs> you know, wh- whether those kind of, uh, you know, literary institutions would have existed in the absence of, you know, that idiot having been born is another question. But um, yeah, I think th- th- this is the thing about history. It's like, it's messy. Like I've been on a major history binge recently, just, you know, listening to everything about like, you know, ancient Japan through to the Assyrians and, you know, sort of like the biblical times through to the, uh, the Mexicans and the conquistadors and Tenochtitlan and everything. It's, and it's just, history is so fucking messy. There's so many things that, you know, may or may not have happened that could or could not have happened. And, you know, Marx is one of those potentially pivotal characters in the sense that, you know, the, the force of his character, because you, you got to give it to him. Like he, he was a character. He had a position. He, you know, he had a way with words um, as lofty as they were. He's kind of like a Vitalik character, right? Because, you know, a, a lot of people. In, for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, but, you know, he, he, he expressed it in a way that I think um, got people swept up uh, in, in some level of emotion. So he knew how to talk to people. And, and, you know, I, I use the Vitalik example in the sense that Vitalik is one of those people who uses a bunch of big buzzwords and wraps them in sophisticated language. So what happens is people assume he's smart. They don't understand what the fuck he's talking about, but they're like, hey, fuck, you know, he sounds like a smart guy, so I better put some money into this Ethereum thing. Um, and, you know, then they then they get fucking fleeced, right? And M- Marx was kind of similar in, 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 in essence, not, not in, not in uh, style, but in essence, he he was a he was a fucking damn good writer who expressed a nonsensical viewpoint uh, in a way that um you know what what's the word like it it called to people who genuinely also during the eighteen fifties and during that period of history like we, we we say this in the book the world had to move from the slums into the cities and that shit wasn't going to be a pretty process like it had to go through a period of extreme hardship right like the, the world was transforming and unfortunately during that transformational process like you know if you eat shit today to eat caviar in the future like you're gonna have to go through a progression as does every individual um and you know the the unlucky part was that you know during the industrial revolution there was a lot of displacement there was a lot of you know toil and you know it was hard and all that sort of shit but you know that was that was the price humanity had to pay for that segment of civilization and unfortunately you know what 
people like Marx took out of that was that we should burn it all down um, or if not burn it down, confiscate it uh, and use it to our own ends because we believe in some sort of utopia in which the removal of privation is how you solve all the world's problems, which is, you know, once again, a complete lack of understanding uh, the human psyche, which which he was he was fucking great at not understanding the human psyche for fucking sure, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But anyway, so let me ask you a question. Let me let me throw something at you because I just for this for this interview I went and I listened to your um, your your live reading of uh, Bitcoiners are remnants, or the remnant, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, would you would you consider Marx a remnant because he was a, a thought leader? in the time no i mean fuck that's a tough i'd consider him a parasite so i did a part two okay and that's fair i I don't have an answer and like i just you know i just i just thought i'd throw it out there because it was a great piece by the way i really enjoyed the hell out of it and i just i just because he has moved he has moved culture so greatly just one guy and you're saying it yourself he was a he's a great speaker and he was a great writer he clearly tapped into some sort of zeitgeist there so you know what would your argument be then that he's not remnant well the, there's so in the second piece so basically when i wrote that first piece i i realized afterwards that i was like shit i, I missed an archetype and so i kind of frame it as three archetypes now you have the remnant the masses and the parasite and the parasite is kind of like this in between archetype, which is, I, I call them either a failed remnant or a jealous member of the masses. So w- what they are is like, you know, the Marx is a great, uh, great example of that archetype. All politicians are kind of that parasitic class is that, you know, people who could not compete in the free market. So what they had to do was uh, create uh, machinations basically of how to extract wealth from the productive people by weaponizing the lemmings against them in some way, shape or form. And Marx, I think is the quintessential parasite in that sense, because he couldn't compete in the free market that there were fucking writers back then, like, you know, Adam Smith and, uh, Frederick Bastiat again, who they made a fucking living. Like they were either lawyers or something like that. So they actually produced, but they wrote in their spare time, uh, Marx, Mm was too incompetent to be able to do that. So what he decided to do was espouse a philosophy whereby uh, we should extract the wealth from the people who are competent and you know use it to fund me uh, and uh, basically weaponize the masses in order to do that. So, so that third archetype, I think, is yeah the, the one that I missed out in the first piece. And the, the, the parasitic class, you know, people call them the elites. I, I hate to give them that designation because the word elite to me actually is something to aspire towards. Like to be elite means to be exceptional at something, right? You know, an elite person is like, you know, fucking Bruce Lee or, uh, you know, Stephen Curry or someone like that, like people who are excellent at their craft. Um, but to be a parasite is to suck from the system. And their their best method of doing that is, as I said, they weaponize the lemmings against the remnant um, and extract from them. And and that's effectively what I think Marx was. It's uh, yeah. When you look at the parasite class, it's basically just like uh, a remnant can only relate with another remnant. Whereas a parasite just looks like a remnant to the masses. So the masses just look at them like, Oh, they're so smart. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. they're not fooling mm-hmm. any of the remnant, but they're fooling exactly. a large majority of the masses. 
And so exactly. th- th- like a remnant and a, a parasite almost look identical to, to the unknown eye, I would say, which is frustrating, <laughs> but they'll see they're, like they're, all they're the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's, that's it's all of the, it's all of the creators of any given shitcoin, really. And especially the, the early ones where they discovered Bitcoin early, they, they realized the change that was happening and then realized, oh, I can't be in control of this. I'll just manipulate other people to show them that, oh, well, Bitcoin's no good. Come into, come into my web. And uh, anybody that's a Bitcoiner can see right through that. And anybody that is just part of the masses will will un- unfortunately fall fallen victim to their trap. It's sad. Well, that's that's the thing. I make I make this differentiation in the second article as well, or the third article. Like I did three pieces on the remnant um, series, and the, the differentiation I said I made in there was that how to know how to know a remnant from a parasite is that the remnant will never try and um, use or take advantage of the masses. Um, in fact they want very little to do with the masses other than like a commercial relationship. It's like, Hey, you know, if you want to buy my wares by all means, but it's, it's a very commercial relationship. It's not one of, uh, you know, a grand fucking crusade for the masses where we must save you all or any of that sort of shit. The remnant actually wants to be left in peace to, to become the best version of himself. And where you'll notice with parasites is that they're always on a fucking crusade to save the world and save the fucking lemmings and save the masses and blah, 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 blah. And they use that pretense to weaponize all the mindless hordes of fucking zombies toward a specific thing. And that you'll hear it in all their language. It's always, we're all in this together. You know, we're all one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's always about unity or something like that. It's always in their fucking language. Like someone who's a true remnant doesn't give a fuck. It's not that he doesn't like the masses or th- wants to, wants the worst for them. It's like he, 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 a remnant considers the masses as much as he considers grass. It's like, it's necessary and it's cool. Um, and it's, you know, it's the world needs to have it, but I'm not going to fucking give my life for the grass and I'm not going to rally the grass to come, you know, fight for a noble cause. It's like, fuck them. Um, and, and that's kind of like, I think it's a big differentiator and, um, and Ayn Rand, Ayn Rand has this beautiful quote in uh, The Fountainhead where um, we've got Ellsworth Tui, who's the uh, one of the antagonists, and you've got uh, Rourke, who's the protagonist. And Tui asks, Rourke is like, uh, Mr. Rourke, you know, there's no one here, uh, so no one's going to hear you, but tell me, what do you really think of me? Um, and Rourke's reply to him is, I don't think of you. <laughs> And it's like the ultimate <laughs> fucking slam dunk. It is the ultimate slam dunk. I gotta it's not go that back and read that book. I, it's not like I don't hate you or anything like. It's like I just don't think of you. Like you, you know, you. It's like yeah. And 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 that's that's the that's the posture. That's the framing of 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 a great person. It's like you you don't you're not running around trying to. Um, rally the fucking mindless zombies towards a particular goal because anyone who's trying to do that has an ulterior fucking motive and Mm -hmm. they need the masses to execute it. Well, it's just, yeah, it's like... At least that's uh, what I think. I I agree. And when uh, when the COVID thing struck, I'm in Canada and, you know, our prime minister said, okay, only essential workers can work. And so I kept working 
<laughs> like I had family members be like, oh, you're still working. Why are you doing that? It's like, well, I'm essential. <laughs> How do you know you're essential? Because I'm a person. So I guess I'm going to keep working. It, it, it mm-hmm. seems so simple to me. And some people just are waiting for their masters to tell them whether or not they can do something. And other people just, you know, you just have to take responsibility into your own hands, whether or not like you can't look, you can't look to somebody else to tell you what you can and can't do. It doesn't make it just never made logical sense to me. So that always bothered me. I still think about that. My, my aunt was just like, Oh, you're still working. How dare you? Aren't you thinking about everybody else? It's like, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking I got to get paid. I got to feed myself that that's the most important thing. So I think, uh, yeah, it, you, you just can't, you cannot relate to people that think that way. It's that's what I've come to notice is when I came to Bitcoin, I thought I would, easily change so many people's minds and show them show them the light and you realize oh some people you just can't get can't get through to and i guess it just well you can't and and that's that's kind of the the last thing i'll say on the remnant piece is that you know a lot of people mistake my whole thing about like oh yeah you know but what about mass adoption and you're an asshole and you don't care about you know all the people getting in it's like no 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 my whole argument centers around focusing on the 20 percent who matter versus the 80% who are just going to default to what becomes the default, right? So you, you need to get, and, and, and all historical transformations occur this way, is that you need to get the, the intolerant minority, like the people who actually get it, you need to unplug those ones first. So, and, and I mean, one of the greatest movies of all time, The Matrix, you know, before they fucked it all up, but The, the Matrix... <laughs> And Morpheus like says that, you know, when he's walking through the, um, the, uh, what is it? The, the construct with Nia and he's saying, what Nia look around, what do you see? You see, you know, police officers, lawyers, this, that, you know, some of these people are so inured, so attached, so inured to the system that they will actually fight to protect it. And it's like, they're not the ones that we're trying to unplug. The ones that we're trying to unplug are the ones who to quote Morpheus again, are the those who have that splinter in their mind who know that something's wrong so what we should be spending our time doing is speaking to them not to the fucking masses because there's no point in yelling at fucking clouds or trying to convert uh mm-hmm. lemmings into uh these people who are gonna you know be there to change the world because when the shit hits the fan they're gonna be the first ones to run away and either switch sides or betray you or you know leave you by yourself so so you get flanked like the the next stage of you know progression for the human race is going to be a messy one and it's going to require basically remnants it's going to require strong characters around so don't waste your time trying to convince the muppets go and find people who are who are predisposed to that type of message based on i don't know their, their constitution their nature how they've you know evolved it they their nature, their character. I, I don't know what the fucking ingredient specifically is that makes someone predisposed to this kind of um, discussion or this kind of message, but they're the ones we spend time on. And there's more than enough of those. If we use just the 80-20 rule that I use, like in terms of the, the remnant and the masses, 20% of uh, 8 billion people is 1.6 billion people. I can guarantee you 80% of those 1.6 billion are still what I call dormant, so they're still sleeping. They're the 80% of 1.6 billion is, you know, 1.2, roughly 1.25 billion. They're the ones we should be focused on waking up. And that's a hell of a lot of people we've got to wake up. We don't need to worry about the other 6 billion because they're going to default 
once the 1.6 billion transformed the fucking world into a place that's worth living. Otherwise, the fucking parasites are going to turn it into a dystopian fucking hellscape, which we all going to default into anyway. And the lemmings won't know the difference. They'll fucking walk into the gulags with a smile on their face or they'll walk into paradise with a smile on their face. They won't know what the fuck the difference is. Well, here's okay. So this is kind of uh, I have a question for both of you that kind of relates to how to find the remnant and what um, what I noticed in myself when I started questioning things. So at the end of your book, you talk about um, how communism, Marxism is so appealing to the masses. And personally, uh, I was like in my, I don't know, younger when I was younger, 19, 20, 21, hadn't made any money yet. I was one of those that was like, yeah, communism seems like a good idea. What if we just all shared the wealth? It seems nice. We could all just get along and it would be beautiful and we would all have all of our needs met. That seems great. And I was having this needs met. Back to uh back to according to our needs there. <laughs> exactly, right? So at face value, you think it's a good idea. And so I was having this conversation with another dude at a party, and he's like, Yeah, man, communism is great. And he lifted his shirt up. And he had a tattoo on his chest of the hammer and sickle thing, like the full-on communist um, symbol. And I was like, whoa, that's pretty intense. I was just kind of exploring this idea. I guess you're pretty deep into it. And in the back of my mind, I already knew that, you know, communism leads to death and destruction. So although it could work maybe in theory, you know, in quotes, I definitely wouldn't tattoo it on my chest. And that's when I realized maybe I should look more into this and then realized how evil communism was and how it just simply doesn't work. So my question to both of you, um, maybe we'll start with you, Mark, is did you ever go through a similar communist phase in your life? And then if so, uh, how did you knock yourself out of it? And if not, uh, that that's also a fair answer too. I'm just curious if you had a phase like that. Yeah. So uh, for me, I would, I would say uh, absolutely not. Um, not at all. And, and, and I think, I think it goes back to, uh, you mentioned earlier, like who you're trying to emulate and, and, you know, going to look at the man in the arena, et cetera. But I think, you know, unfortunately in, in the United States and, and a lot of other developed nations, um, but in the United States specifically, this is where I grew up. Um, we have generations of people now that have grown up as uh, wardens of the state. I mean, they've grown up on the state, right? So second generation of welfare. And so I guess if that's all you know, and you're used to people taking care of you, and then you know, you're know you constantly being told that uh, rich people have more than you and they got it because they stole from you, then I can see how those particular people um, could be drawn to that, right? Because that's that's all they know. Uh, for me, it's, it was the, the opposite. I mean, my, my father grew up on a farm. Um, you've never worked hard until you've grown up on an actual farm. And then he was a, a a construction he had it was a contractor and since the age i was 10 years old i had to go do construction with my dad on summers while everybody else was out having fun playing and so i hated it um but it taught me what hard work was and um you know i saw get, getting to work with my dad see i like to think of it like behind the lens of like what or I, I call it like behind the curtain. I think it's super important for kids to understand how money is made. And so going with my dad to meet the people and bid the job and get the job and get the tile and bring it back, complete it. And so I saw how it was made. And so um, I think, you know, between that work ethic and then seeing how, how money was made, it just gave me that drive. And so um, I've only ever had one single job in my whole life. 
and it was only for a couple of years and I've basically just made money ever since. And so that's what was modeled to me. And so, no, I never had any, I've, I've never had a, th I've never even had a thought. And my, my story is, is uh, one of making a lot of money and losing it all um, and then making it back again. But I never once had the thought that I should go get a job. Like even that didn't ever cross my mind. It was always like, well, how do I go make money? Um, and so definitely not like, well, how do I get on the government uh, the government to pay all my bills? Uh, never crossed my mind. But that's just because that's the way I was raised. And I, I could see the other side, though. Yeah, you, you know, uh, that just made me think of my childhood. And I grew up uh, with a single mother and we were very dependent on the state for, for funding to, to live our lives. And maybe that affected me. I talked to my sister, you know, years later and she's like, how could you be against the government helping all these people? Um, you know, you grew up, you wouldn't have survived like that. And, uh, it's true. And, you know, we talked about the nineties earlier and maybe it worked for a little while. It worked for a little while. It was nice. You know, I was able to keep, my mom was able to keep us fed. Um, but now, I mean, we're kind of late, late stage in this and it's just, it's going to all come collapsing down. You, you realize the only way to, to make it through is to provide for yourself. But yeah, the, the upbringing on a farm, I'm, yeah, that, that's, uh, <laughs> that, you know, I, I, you must consider yourself very lucky. What a beautiful way to grow up. I'm actually just working on finding a farm to start myself. I've never done anything in, <laughs> in my life like it. So, uh, I'm, I'm taking on the citadel mentality and trying to get out of the cities and do it all so i, I definitely respect you and your father and all, all the hard work you did that's uh... well i i never lived on the farm my oh. father grew up on a farm oh, okay. <laughs> which made him a crazy hard worker okay. he made me go work construction with him which also made me a hard worker as well okay um, but anyway just to clarify that right on right on okay and svetsky did you ever have a communist phase man i'm so curious <laughs> yeah <laughs> i i think similar to mark and it was funny we when we caught up over the over the weekend, I was mentioning that throughout my entire teens, like, you know, with my uncle and my dad and shit, like they were in construction. I was putting in floors and he was like, oh, I did that as well. I was like, oh, fuck. So we kind of both had that same hard work experience uh, when we were young. And particularly like I grew up to uh, immigrant parents who came from Eastern Europe to Australia and th there was no you know, we, we didn't get anything for free. Um, you know, we're poor as fuck, you know, but we had these parents who worked like two, three jobs and, um, you know, very, definitely very, very working class sort of middle-class, um, upbringing. And I, I don't, the closest I got to like a lefty communist sort of tendency was in my mid twenties. Um, I had built a series of businesses when I was, when I was younger, like between the age of 19 to sort of 24. And my first business, my business partner, like took all the money out of the account and ran away. Um, it kind of left me holding all the debts. Um, and my second business, I was too levered up on basically government rebates because I was in the solar industry actually. Um, and that whole fucking industry imploded because the government mismanaged all the money, et cetera, et cetera. And then, um, you know, what, what basically I, I was owed a couple million dollars by the government through the, through the rebate mechanism. And we all got sort of 50 cents on the dollar and kind of lost everything in that process as well. And kind of after that period, like I, I went into what I call my little hippie phase. So I was like, you know what? fuck business, fuck entrepreneurialism. Why work so hard when, you know, some idiot can just like fuck it all up for you. So 
kind of gave up on all of that and and I became you know definitely more lefty liberal oriented you know when spent a little bit of time in California and LA um and yeah I kind of I don't know I, I didn't really like so I wasn't political in any way I didn't go out and read the communist manifesto or anything like that but I I kind of I, maybe I didn't go left leaning I kind of went very like the big influences of my life at that time were like people like Alan Watts and stuff like that. So it was really like Eastern philosophy and shit like that. That was quite interesting to me. And that pendulum has obviously swung in a very different direction now, but I was, you know, a super mellow version of Svetsky. Um, very, very blase, very, um, yeah, not, I, I wasn't, anti-specific political leaning um nowhere near as much as i am today but the thing is you know a man's got to eat so what did i do i went and built new businesses and it was that continual need to provide for myself without uh, a job because i've never had a job i think very similar to mark again is um is what drove me to become self-sufficient and be you know, have, I guess, a proclivity to being against shit like communism, which is built, you know, as I've said, it's, it's a case for entitlement. And I, I just never had the opportunity to really be entitled. So it always sounded like strange to me. And, and for me, probably the biggest watershed moment that really brought everything together was Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Like for me, that story, that narrative just took me on such a journey and it just made so much fucking sense. Like as I was uh, first listening to the book, I was like, holy fucking shit. And now all, all I do is look around at me, look around the world actually. And I just see that book happening in real life. And I'm like, fuck me. She was so right. And no amount of like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm like baffled by the accuracy of her work. So, so she, she really transformed me, I guess, and made me see the difference between the ideologies. It's really hard to unsee it once you see it. Right. Like totally. And I, and I am, I'm really glad that you guys both brought up similar stories because Jeff and I talked about this concept, like um, maybe, maybe season one for us might've been early season two. I can't remember, but we, for me, especially, I was very curious as to what makes a Bitcoiner a Bitcoiner. And I was convinced, and I still am, that there's there's something inherent in terms of our upbringing or something where we start to recognize the value of proof of work, you know. Um, so I, I and I'm glad to hear you both say it, because I was my first job was at 12 years old. I was de delivering beds with my dad. But I got my own paycheck. It wasn't something that he slipped under the table to me. I was on the payroll and I got a paycheck every Friday. And it was one of the one of my earliest memories. And I think I've talked about this before. It was this idea that I didn't know what to do with the money, but it felt so good. Like after a shift on Friday to to go and like get some get some ice cream with my dad. But I paid for it, you know, um, so I'm I'm seeing a theme between at least the three of us. I know Jeff didn't necessarily have the experience, but that's okay. He got he got there eventually. It's okay. Um, just this idea of like early exposure to your your labor being directly rewarded seems to be a common theme that I'm sort of discovering. So what I want to tell the audience right now is 
put your children to work and let them appreciate that. Like, don't slave labor them. No, I mean, you got to. My my dad yeah. slave labored me. You think at 10 years old, you want to go work construction? Hell uh, no. He wanted, he wanted to work that hard. And so you have to. And unfortunately, I haven't done such a good job with my kids. But uh, if I could go back and get a do over, that's one thing I would have changed a big time. Yeah. I mean, but I, I just think there's a there's a mass. I don't know, man. It's and it's it, that is one of the big questions for me that's still kind of it's kind of out there like what gets someone and, and i'm not at, i'm looking for an answer just for the record i just i'm just putting it out there and if you guys want to comment on it that's fine but like the idea of what makes somebody get bitcoin to the point where i'll take like i bought and i was telling people to buy at the 16 or was it 68 i think was the high and and i was buying at that and i'm still buying now because i understand what it means conceptually like what is it that gets somebody to get bitcoin like in their hearts you know and that's a it's a really i i want to find a commonality i want to find a thread you know and that's that's like that's just my searching mind so i don't know if you guys have a comment on that or whatever but um right now i'm just gonna say we have to have had a job early in your life that's what you had to do it's something that alex and i are actually working on because we're putting together kind of a little cheat sheet that can help people um talk about marxism um and and, and we've also kind of related it back to um bitcoin because a lot of times people want to say well how do you how do you orange pill people and so to the question you're asking which is what makes people get it um it's different for everybody and that's why orange pilling isn't like a one size fits all. It's like it depends on the person you're talking to. Uh, right off the bat, uh, the majority of people have almost no understanding of what money is or how the financial system works. So if you're trying to say like it's a new form of money, especially if you're in the United States, uh, people don't yeah, care. It's kind of a dead end, right? Yeah, it's a dead end. They don't they don't understand what money is. They don't understand there's a problem with our money. Um, obviously, if you're in a different country where your the currency is inflating 60, 70, 80 percent or more, um, or the you know in, if you're in Afghanistan, the Taliban won't even let you get money, you know something like that, then then you get it. Uh, but in the United States or North America, it's difficult for people. So then, I think it's different for each person. You have to kind of understand what it is they care about. Um, but as far as uh, to to the the exact question, which is what makes people get it, I think it's just time. Uh, Bitcoin's very difficult to understand. Um, Alex and I spend an enormous amount of time talk, talking about thinking about it and, and I have for whatever, seven, seven years now at this point, and I'm still starting to kind of learn new ways to think about it and stuff. So uh, there's really no end, but I think, you know, you, you get a little bit, you get a little bit of skin in the game, you start paying attention, you start going down the rabbit holes um, and over, over time you'll learn. I would, I would tend to agree with that statement, Mark, except for the fact that I do think, I think it's amalgam. It, it's an, it's an amalgam, sorry, between um, uh, Svetsky's concept of remnant versus what we're talking about right now. I think there's a balance there where there's just going to be some people that don't get it. Mm-hmm. But I think the people that do get it are the ones who are, are through their own personal history, have more of a proclivity to, uh, to get it. You know, like, and sure, that, that sure. sounds so dumb when I say it, and I apologize. No, no, I'm you're not... absolutely right. And, and I think if you, if you, so if you look at the, the cross section of Bitcoiners, they're also the ones that are starting to be really into their diet and, and spending their time properly and digging into relationships and uh, all these areas, religion and all these things that are, that are, you know, long, that are long term 
plans, long-term planning. So they tend to be people who are, I guess, free thinkers, right? People that have been able to think on their own a little bit, um, as opposed to kind of following the herd. So I guess, I guess, uh, does Bitcoin turn people into those people that start caring about health and relationships or is it people that already care about those things are then drawn to Bitcoin? I don't know, chicken or the egg, I guess. Yeah, I would, I would argue it's probably the latter, to be honest. Like, I think, I, I guess my argument is like, if, if we're going to go with, if we're going to agree that there is a remnant that we have to reach, then there's probably a profile of that remnant. And we should be targeting that as, as people who want to quote unquote, preach the good word of the orange coin, you know, like that's, that's what I'm trying to like, that's part of what I try to do on this podcast is, is this idea of like honing these ideas, talking to new people to hone the idea even more. And by the way, I'm really appreciative that you guys have both been so generous with your time and, and Jeff, I think has one more question or whatever, but thank you again for that. But just this concept of, of like, I want my time to be valuable and I, and obviously I want your time on this show to be valuable. So like, I'm trying to, I just feel like we have to, as, as maxis, we have to somehow come up with a profile or something where we can sort of vet like this person is going to get this at least percentage wise. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's gotta be yeah, something it's not about, there. It's not, about, it's not about vetting it. It's about, now let me tell you a story. So um, there was this, uh, this, this gambler in Vegas and he was really well known and, and he would go to these seedy, seedy, seedy parts of Vegas and go to these like kind of card rooms. Right. And there was a guy that wanted to learn his secrets and how to play, how to play poker, you know, learn from them. So he went with this old gambler and they went to this back card room game, this game room. And, um, the guy was like wearing a trench coat and they went in there and it's like all dark and seedy in there. And the, uh, the old veteran leans over to the new guy and he says, all right, you want to see? Watch this. And he pulls out from his um, trench coat and he has a shotgun and he racks it. <laughs> a few people turned and looked and most people were oblivious. And he said, you see that? All those people that turned their head and looked, those are the people we want to watch out for. They're paying attention. So uh, talking about Bitcoin, we're racking the shotgun and the people that are going to be drawn to it are going to come. And the people that don't, they're the sheep. We can't wake them up. So let them go on with their lives. Wow, that's an awesome story. That is dude. so good, dude. You, that is you, so good. Cool story, man. Holy shit! Yeah, yeah I, that that I love it. Uh, you and you can tell in your life, you know, like uh, a, a fellow I'm working with right now. Like you can just see, oh, this guy is absolutely going to understand Bitcoin. Self sufficient, uh, takes care of, you know, family man, does all these things, and you're just like, this is a Bitcoiner. And uh, when, yeah, when I first found Bitcoin, you just you find these people, and you're just like, oh, this person's definitely a Bitcoiner. And you find out they're not yet. And it's like, what? Why? So it's just, yeah, you find those people and then you just have to show show them the way. And it's like almost too easy to orange pill is what I think, which is nice. But yeah, they're the ones that you can't find. <laughs> That's crazy. The people that aren't listening to the shotgun, then just leave them be. Um, we do want to be very... Um, uh, appreciative of your of your time you guys have been awesome uh i do ask uh, mark at the beginning of the before we started recording i told svetsky we do a little game at the end if, if you're down it'll be just like five minutes um when we started this show doug and i were brand new uh, <laughs> i found bitcoin and then i told everybody in my life that i knew about bitcoin and like we said you know doug was the only one that said okay i'll look into it so out of i don't know probably 100 plus people 
I found one friend and I was like, okay, well, we're starting a podcast because I need to talk about Bitcoin <laughs> at least once a week. Otherwise I'm going to lose He's not exaggerating, life. boys. He, he, this is legit how it happened. Like he, he, he came to me, he said, you got to check this out. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get to it. Cause I already had a first touch on Bitcoin. I kind of dismissed it. And then uh, Trump printed his nine or six trillion or whatever it was. I'm like, maybe I should listen to Jeff. I'm like, Jeff, you're right. We have to tell everyone. He's like, yeah, we're starting a bit. We're, we're starting a podcast. I was like, okay. So, so, so with the, with the podcast, uh, we were still excited about the price at that point, And I thought it'd be fun to talk about it. And it's just been a tradition that we've done. So to keep it fun, what we do, um, is we make a guess of what the price is going to be the following week. Doug and I keep score of what, uh, who's closer. And then at the end of our season, we, we see who was closest to the price the most times. And we put a hundred thousand sat, the, the winner gets a hundred thousand sat. So I've already given a hundred and some hundred thousand sats to Doug already. 110 last season. 110. So. so we ask if we have guests on the show, if you would participate in playing and just making a guess of what the price is going to be next week. If either of you guys are closer than me or Doug, we add 5,000 sats to the pot. So right now our pot is sitting at 120,000 sats. If you guys want to play, you can. If you hate the price and you don't want to talk about it, that's also fine. I'll, I'll let you uh, make your choice. Are you guys open to playing a fun little game about the price? Uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Okay. All right. So guess what, Jeff? It's time for... That's right. It's time for the Why Bitcoin Podcast weekly, weekly price check. Right on. Okay. All I right. Already so, told, I already said the rules. So let's go. To I know. The you already did the rules. So really I'm cool. just going to jump right into the recap of last week. Last week, we had Bitcoin Becca on. Um, I, I don't even need to look at it, right? So Jeff basically said uh, 29,000. I said 33,000. And Becca said 32,000. Jeff was the bitch bear of last week. So yeah. he wins. Yeah. <laughs> good, job. good job. I, I was very close. Very close. Yeah, so that's way to, another way to win by losing, sir. Right on. Cheap sats, right. baby. We all like cheap sats. All right. So, gentlemen, we're going to take 30 seconds, and through the magic of editing, it will actually be 30 seconds. We'll take as long as you need. We write the answer down so that we can't cheat. But as uh, I don't know, I don't know if people believe that after almost a year and a half of this, but we're not cheating for real. (laughs) So, um, So starting starting now, go ahead and write your answer down, and then we'll. uh, We'll edit this to make it sound like 30 seconds. It'll be great. also ready okay so i won right so i go first you won you go first okay right on so i think the price of one bitcoin next week given the crazy conditions that we're living in right now let's say it's going to be twenty three thousand four hundred and fifty six dollars and 78 cents for one bitcoin all right okay um i'll go next because i want to give our guests just a little more time and i'm going to probably be the bitch bear this week and I don't care because this is, I want to see maximum pain, uh, 18,000 even. Ooh, that'd be tasty. Yeah. 
All right, Svetsky, what, what do you think the price of one one Bitcoin is going to be next week? Let's go 22 flat. 22 flat. Right, I would take I that, like too. It. Okay. Mark? I'm going to go with uh, 20,500. 20,500. Got it. Okay, so we've never had two guests before, Jeff. So it could be bad. We could be adding a lot of so stats to the pod. Let's make a new, let's make an ad hoc rule where if they're both closer than us, like let's say it lands at 21. Yeah, which it probably will. <laughs> which it probably will just to screw us because honestly, this season, our guests have done better than we have by and large. So let's just say that's another 10,000 sats onto the thing. Yeah, let's do it. All right, awesome. guys. Uh, Svetsky, Mark, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'd love, if you're open to, I'd love to chat with both of you uh, as a single guests on our show. If you're open to that, feel free to uh, contact us anytime if you'd like to do that. It'd be sweet just to get more deeper. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I'm sorry. Jeff is not doing it the right way. It's well, traditionally my, my, my job. <laughs> And my job is to to put you guys on the spot. This is the only question where I'll put guys on the spot, which is we had a great time tonight. Like genuinely, it's been informative. It's been uh, thought provoking and we really like it. Would you guys come back on the show again if we asked you? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Right We're going to hold you to that. Maybe season four, maybe season five. I don't know. But Jeff will be in touch. But we like to add, and it's not just you guys. We ask every guest, you know, to come back on the show because... Well, because honestly, we just love talking to Bitcoiners and, and it's been it's genuinely been great talking to you guys. You guys are uh, monumental in my understanding of Bitcoin, both of you. And I appreciate it. So absolutely. I'll, I'll echo that statement for sure. Um, we'll, we'll give you guys a couple minutes here to just uh, shill anything you want to shill, I suppose, or tell the people that are listening. Yeah, where tell to people where to get don't... this new book that we've been talking about this whole show that we haven't talked about where to get it from the entire time. Absolutely. Well, it's not available just yet. It's, um, it's, yeah. uh, but people can go to uncommunist.com and they can pop their details in so they'll know when it's available. We did a Kickstarter a little while ago, which we're still just at the edge of uh, having totally fulfilled. We, we can't go on Amazon until the Kickstarter is fulfilled. Um, and then the, the planned launch date is the 1st of August. So between now and then, um, jump on uncommunist.com. We're also putting like together a small kind of like a an uncommunist club which is people who want to support uh what we're doing with the book and want to you know help spread the message and things like that what we're going to do is um do kind of like a series of webinars with them um kind of like open discussions where we dissect uh, elements of the book uh and we're going to do i think a series of four or five of those basically going through all the chapters and some of the elements of it so We'll make that available to people um, who've signed up for uncommunist.com. So that way, you know, they'll get an email to, to become a part of that. It'll be kind of like a closed group of 100 people. It'll be like a like a book club, basically. Uh, and in return, you know, we want those people who are part of that to help add some reviews on Amazon when it first comes out. So for the first 12 hours or 24 hours, we'll have the book on Kindle for 99 cents for people to download and actually um, be part of the book club A and B. Uh, give us some reviews and yeah, hopefully like the, the, if, if we can get that in the bestseller list, I think it'll give it some eyeballs and fingers crossed that, um, it spreads the, it spreads the book far and wide. 
Are you guys going to do like an audiobook version of this? Totally, yeah. yeah it's already, already done. Is it? Oh, oh yeah, very good. Waiting, Who did it? Waiting on the editor to finish it up. Me, me and Mark actually both co-read it, so we, we split chapters nice. up. Nice. Very good. Very good. Okay, and can we have your, uh, your Twitter handles, please? Uh, I'm Ghost of Svetsky. Uh, ghost like ghost, of like of, and Svetsky like Svetsky. So you got banned one time? <laughs> Svetsky, are you the first one to make a ghost of account? Because I was listening to a podcast with you and you said now it's become like a thing. And yeah, I told Doug to make a ghost of account because he got banned. Were you the first? I to did, but I got banned again. You did get banned again. But I think Svetsky yeah, started I, I the was trend. the first. I yeah, did. I did. Badass, I couldn't man. figure well, out. Like, you know what? I followed. I followed in your footsteps, sir. And I'm not even ashamed to go. say that because I was a whole ghost host of, of ghosts now. Apparently, <laughs> there's all kinds of ghosts, all sorts of spirit. The, the Bitcoin universe is very spiritual. It's very weird. <laughs> so, and Mark, what what was your Twitter handle? Yeah, mine is a little easier. It's just a, the the number one and uh, Mark Moss. So just one Mark Moss. Number one Mark Moss. No, okay. Not not good. number. Just just one. Just one Mark. Moss. Okay but it's a number not spelled out. And both of you Fair guys enough. have absolutely epic podcasts. I listen to both of you guys all the time. Uh, if you can tell the people <laughs> the names of the show and where, where to find those if you want. Yeah, so I'm, I'm the Wake Up Podcast. So uh, basically, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find the link. Um, it's easier. Or actually, if you just go to www.svet.ski, I've just set up a website. It's kind of like Svetsky, my name, but the dot is before the SKI. Um, you'll have a link there to all of my stuff, whether it's the writing or Very podcasts nice. or whatever. Right and uh, so, audience out there, if you haven't if you haven't read, this is my own personal recommendation. It has nothing to do with anything other than my personal preference. But if you haven't read or listened to uh, uh, the remnant, what, what I'm sorry, Svetsky, I don't know the title of it. What you read it on your podcast? It's it, what is the actual article called the, about the remnant? Uh, it's cool. It's called um, Bitcoiners are the Remnant, the Masses Don't Matter. Exactly. It's a brilliant piece. Uh, it explains a lot, and it's. Um, I, I just think it's a brilliant piece, so I'll just leave it at that. But please go check that out, honestly. And and then obviously when, uh, when the book launches, you guys need to check that out as well. Thank you. Jeff? Yeah. Right on. And Mark, dude, I, I Mark, love your show. You have the most epic. You have the most epic, like radio voice. Whenever I listen to your show, it's just I feel like I'm listening to the best radio show ever, dude. You, you really crush it there. So good on <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I'm on. I'm on uh, whatever medium you like to uh, follow content on. So I have uh, YouTube if you like visual stuff and you want to see charts and graphs, a little bit more teaching style. So just search Mark Moss YouTube. Uh, you can just go to onemarkmoss.com and you can find it all. Um, I have a radio show where I practice my radio voice. It's a little bit more, you know, edutainment, a little bit more kind of entertaining type uh, stuff. Um, you can just search Mark Moss Radio, Mark Moss iHeart. And then I also have a podcast as well. And so um, depends on how you like to listen to your content. The podcasts are more interviews. Uh, the radio is a little bit more short kind of form um, entertainment. And then the YouTube is more teaching, charts, graphs, visual stuff. So, yeah, check it out. Awesome. Awesome. So much, so much good shit to listen to here, guys. Uh, thanks once again yeah. for coming on the show. Guys, we just literally gave you easily like, you know, a year's worth of listening just right there with these two guys. Like, <laughs> yeah, put in the work. Go put in the work. Stop, uh, stop being a Marxist piece of shit. Go put in the work. <laughs>
Go listen to Bitcoin content all the time. That's the best <laughs> thing you can do. Right on, guys. Okay, thanks once again for being on the show. We appreciate you. Um, anybody listening, if you want to find the rest of our shows, we're on whybitcoinpodcast.com. You can find us anywhere. Uh, we're also on all the new podcasting 2.0 apps, Breeze and Fountain. Those are sweet. You should listen on those. Svetska, I know you're a big fan of that shit too. So definitely try and move people Indeed. over to podcasting 2.0, uh, the way of the future for sure. And with that, all right, Jeff, that's it, you want right? to take us out. All right. Uh, thanks for listening so much, everybody. We appreciate you. And remember, as always, if ever, you're always wondering if you're out there thinking, if you're wondering what, you know what I should say? You know, what's a better, you know, what's a better outro is, hey, here we go. If you, if you hear a shotgun cock, pay attention. <laughs> okay. <laughs> God. You're still recording. Thanks, Doug.